0: This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team.
1: Welcome to episode 40 of the No Stroke Podcast. I'm David Dancero. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Garrow. Hi, Mike.
2: David, forty sounds good four zero. I'm like I'm not looking forward to turning forty in a few like not that I'm that close, but I mean, I'm closer to forty than than thirty. And uh, look, we're on our fortieth episode. That's something to celebrate,
1: yes, I would would you have would you have thought that I know we were we were trying this to increase our reach. And I really, you know, every episode we we do, I think the numbers are showing that folks are listening. so, Let's just keep on, you know. Maybe 400 someday we'll be celebrating. But 40, 40 is a milestone. I'm mean, not, we're not talking you're, you know, you got many years before 40 in names, So um, I've already <laughs> Thanks, passed David. that mark. Thanks. But uh, let's get into it. It's been a bit. Um, tell me what what's new with you. Um, we're recording on a Saturday. Our guests that we're going to have coming on. We had to do this uh, in pieces. Um, we actually had this upcoming guest on on a Halloween evening of all things to record. Just kind of give our folks a backdrop and how how crazy it's been over the last couple of months. But uh, what's new with you, Mike?
2: Yeah, just uh, getting ready here. It's been, again, a busy period for us both, but excited to get this one out. Um, you know, so Sarah Thomas, who I'll let you kind of dive into more, is going to be our guest today. She's kind of an aging expert, has done a lot across, you know, multiple different areas. So I, I think it was exciting with this one, we kind of dove more into, she has, past through with the UX design. And that that's kind of where we steered this interview. Um, but yeah, re- really excited to jump into that here in a few minutes. But for me, I just want to, you know, shorten the news segment um, that I want to just shout out is our one of our past guests, Caroline Brown, um, and her nonprofit Stroke OT, which is a Connecticut based group that run in person and online group exercise classes um big advocate for her um you know proud to sit on the board and really help them grow these classes throughout the state um you know she's the ot that my mom had for many many years and still still works with her closely so um close to my heart and i hope you know we could help her here in the the last few weeks of the year she's running a a fundraising campaign so if you go to strokeot.org you could find the donation button um, you know, if you up to $5,000 is going to be matched this year. So, um, you know, the, this money is really going to go towards helping continue these classes, you know, expanding their reach and, and getting, you know, really the care for for some of these survivors here that don't have access to to long-term rehab and, and kind of that, you know, we always hear exercise is some of the best medicine. So, you know, what they're doing is really, really kind of Shining a light for for those who don't have the the contact. So, again, if you can, you know, please keep in mind and and go make a small donation. Does help?
1: Yeah, i hundred percent agree uh, Caroline, her team do such great work. Um, she's been a guest on a show in season one. I cross path with her a lot, and the advocacy, a lot of the stroke support groups, a lot of times. Uh, Especially through Yukon Health, Um, so I know how dynamic she is as a leader and all the great work. So uh, please support her. Um, And um, I'll I'll, I just have a couple of quick things to to add in the news before we bring in and introduce Sarah Thomas. Um, I want to thank the folks down at the URI uh, Physical Therapy Program that had me on, had me as a guest to present on telehealth uh, last week. It was kind of cool at the same time, Mike, that a lot of the topics that I brought up, I was able to reference. There's a lot to cover in an hour, and I was able to reference our podcast for more information. We talk about telehealth policy. I was able to um, have them reference Kyle's uh, episode from the EATA. And again, a lot of the tech and innovation folks that we've had on in that leadership. um, um, So I've got some good feedback already from... Um, some of the students that uh, engaged in the podcast so welcome if you're listening to this episode guys so it was fun being down there Um, and the other quick point I want to bring up which um, which um, uh, unfortunately um, uh, I was getting a lot of uh, uh, emails and and comments in my uh, my private messages in my blog Um, Chris Letang had another stroke and I wrote about Chris Uh, Chris for the guys don't know um, and, and, maybe not, wouldn't expect you to know this year in the hockey community, he's an NHL defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 2014. Um, he had a stroke and he kind of, his story kind of rose to the top of my feed because he also was, it was kind of speculated that he probably had a stroke from a PFO at the time he was a young, 20 year old, 23 or 24. Now, some nine years later, he had another event. So I, I personally do not know, um, um, I'm only going by NHL's NHL.com's report that he um, he was discharged, and um, the only message I want to say is that this is um, this is perfect example to kind of um, be mindful of your numbers and knowing your risk factors because you know we talk about it and we've had guests on that for many folks that have had a first stroke, um, and the numbers will say you know some like something like 25% of that population um there's it's known the data shows that they're at higher risk for a second event um that happened to me um for example but um we wish chris well um and um i just um you know for folks that were i, I didn't really reach back to a lot of us because i don't know you know if 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 mr you know if you. I know he follows a, he's in incredible shape uh, because when he had his first show, I watched his exercise routine and and but he's been pretty quiet on social. And that's his right to be private about this. It's a hard time to understand what's next. And, you know, is he going to go back on the ice? We don't know yet, but uh, we wish him well. And, you know, certainly if you ever want to come on the show um, and talk about, you know, for advocacy, um, but he did, he and his team knew the warning signs and he got immediate attention. And that's the point I want to bring across on this. So, um, I'd like to. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add there, Mike, or I'm just was going to jump into Sarah's bio and get her get her rolling here. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. So Sarah Thomas, we I met her a couple of years ago at the uh, Rehab Tech Summit. She was a uh, keynote presenter. I loved uh, her perspective, and I also um, did a little. Um, follow up with her after on her advisory and the roles that she did when I was uh, on the on, on my side of the the private side of the business that I do in terms of consulting to get her expertise but she is an executive strategist in in aging innovation she's also a a um, occupational therapist by by training there were a lot of uh, ots that were very interested how she made the leap into into consultancy and using her background to become a leader in innovation so, um, she serves as a global aging expert on advising startups, lot corporation, corporations, and investors with over 20 years dedicated to transforming the aging experience. So Sarah is the CEO of a multinational staffing hosting company, Meztal, in Guadalajara, Mexico. I think we joked with her mic off before we started recording. Our numbers, um, and I was wondering why our podcast numbers were trending in Guadalajara. Um, Maybe there's a connection. I don't know. Uh, But she's the CEO of the consulting firm um, Delight by Design, um, and they're creating age-inclusive products, brand spaces, and experience that delight the consumer at every age. So um, we'll put more of her uh, bio in the show notes. uh, But um, you're right, Mike, in the intro, um, we took a we took a focus around design and innovation. I know that was very interesting to you as well. Um, and she, um, she's, she, she's a wealth of, of knowledge. Um, uh, I, I learned also what a Cooper is, um, in this, in this, I had to go back and listen, but I love her foundation as beginning. So if you don't know what a Cooper is, uh, stay tuned, Sarah will explain that. So, um, I think, uh, I don't know if you have anything to add <laughs> but this,
2: this is a good episode uh again like i think this is a guest that we'll we'll try to get on again um you know she has so many different specialties under her belt um you know we we took the focus of ux on this one um and what does what like human centered design means to like redesigning stroke care and across the industry as a whole so um yeah it's a fascinating discussion and certainly someone will will have back on in the new year at some point. But let's get into it. Let's do it. Hi Sarah and welcome to the no stroke podcast. Great to have you here.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: For sure. So I know David and yourself connected back um at the Rehab Tech Summit a couple of years years ago and you know we've had Lauren on and you know, to kind of speak to some of the work that they're really highlighting and you know this this aging in space is you know your kind of bread and butter and, and a lot of what you've been focused on over the last few years so um i'd love to you know we have a lot of stuff again based on your experience there's so much we could dive into here but um for our listeners can you just give you know kind of a bit of background your professional history and where you are today
0: Sure. So um, I'm an occupational therapist by clinical background, and very quickly in my career, starting about 20 years ago, started to uh, advise health tech, digital tech, and age tech companies on everything from UI, UX, to product development, um, and go-to-market strategy. Um, And I, I learned quickly in my career that as I was advising uh, for the for the point of piloting within aging services um, and and geriatric services, I basically would give them access to you know patient feedback and clinician feedback and focus groups and and quickly decided that it was um, a sweet spot for me in in general to to bring kind of these age tech services and age tech solutions to market. And um, I led global innovation for Genesis Healthcare for years, including designing their innovation center in China, helping with the joint venture they had with the Chinese government to um, bring new solutions for aging services with tech-enabled care delivery. And with that role sat at Aging 2.0, which um, at the time had just launched in San Francisco. So we had an accelerator program for two years that I helped to advise. Um, And then I also uh, helped as we grew the 150 chapters around the world with quarterly age tech events. They brought some of that expertise, both clinically and operationally, into um, the providers and the buyers and individuals who were helping to um, acquire and invest in the age tech world, as well as advising the startups that were entering the space, really to look at how they're addressing the mature consumer, how are they looking at uh, Human centered design. And so, my whole world, uh, especially in the last 15 years, has been at this intersection. It's pretty easy to follow, and it makes a lot more sense, even though I have a non traditional path. If you look to see these three buckets, it's really age tech startups or health tech startups in the aging space. Uh, trying to make a difference in the world on how we age. And then the buyer side being everything from consumer brands, uh, trying to understand the maturing consumer to health systems, payers, uh, post-acute rehab centers, uh, you know, REITs that are building buildings and want greater efficiency, any of the buyers that are looking at new technologies and new innovations, Um, across the world and how are they improving the experience within their sphere of influence. And then the third bucket being the venture capital world and how to decrease that noise as they're looking at this really challenging landscape. People are cropping up in the startup landscape uh, with various solutions, but how do you really know how to vet them and how to know what's gonna hit the market and be successful. And so those are the three buckets um, along the way. And when Aging 2.0 recently sold um it i i spun off a consulting firm that just does the same thing that i was doing within aging 2.0 so i own a consulting firm called delight by design and we we really look at everything from product uh spaces experiences and brands all for the aging uh aging side of things and longevity and um we're just looking to kind of improve the experience across all of those sectors um, and then I know we'll get into it a little bit later, but the, in that advisory capacity, what I what I had happen was I, I found that everyone I was talking to during the pandemic, whether it's an H-Tech startup I was advising or a venture capital partner with a portfolio of companies or a buyer like a senior living provider, they all wanted to talk about staffing. And so one of the companies that I was consulting for I realized had an entity in Guadalajara, Mexico, uh, and the company was called Meztal. But at the time, it was really only servicing its own uh, founding clients because they needed to find engineers and call center employees and really help to fill some vacancies. So I came in a year ago um, and and as an advisor and then investor uh, and as a partner, as CEO, to bring them to market to help really anyone that I was working with across the Continuum, if they had open positions for remote uh, that could be managed remotely, we can hire them out of Guadalajara, Mexico, really talented people, passionate people who are mission driven. um, And the total cost is about 40 to 50% less than a fully loaded position in the US. So, helping with some cost savings in the health system, in the health tech system, and age tech, while also just filling critical roles with really talented people. Um, so I, I've had a journey, it's been a unique one. Um, and I continue to just sit in the middle of aging and and our perceptions on aging and how we build products and design spaces and experiences.
1: Wow, Sarah, thank you so much. That's great uh, background. And and you've been busy since uh, we originally met at the Rehead t- Tech Summit or after that as well. Um, I um I have to ask you too. I, I've I've i I've I've looked at a, more of what you're doing online since that summit. Um, your name comes up a lot in the, in the rehab tech and h tech. Um, but for those who are looking for the first time, I just want to clarify: there's another Sarah Thomas out there. You're not, by chance, the uh, NFL. <laughs> You're not dabbling no, in, as the NFL. I'm
0: not. Okay. All right. I'm so not.
1: so folks go, Googling for you, looking for you, stick to our show notes because uh there's also a Sarah Thomas who was the first uh female referee at the Super Bowl last year. So yeah. Yes, uh, yes uh, I'm
0: proud to share that name of fearless female for in sure, the sure, for sure. <laughs> she did a great job
1: as well and continues to. Um, yeah. I'm always fascinated, and I and the reason I was digging, I'm always fascinated when um, Individuals with rehab backgrounds like yourself, your foundations that are in OT, how you got your um, start in, in 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 interest in technology and in doing a little research. I'd love for you, I'm kind of throw in a little question on you that um, came up in a in a, a presentation I saw you do. And it was the reference that you're kind of an old soul and you 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 have some foundations, I think with your grandfather, I would love for you to share that about barrel making and and how that, <laughs> yeah, that really fascinating. I'd love you to share that if you would.
0: Oh, sure. I thought I already went too long on my story, but I'll, I'll continue Please. this line. Uh, we'll go way back. There's a couple interesting things. So yeah. Um, you know one one is my my mom when i was 6 months old had me on her hip and someone told her oh man she's going to struggle in life she has an old soul and my mom quickly pulled me away and said what do you mean by that she said like, oh well you'll see what that means but she has an old soul she's never going to quite fit in and i think it it um uh, it pretty much lived to be true i i always have best friends who are 20 years or more. My senior, when I was seven, I uh, became best friends with an 89 year old and I only wanted to go to his house and really hear his stories. And he was the first, we'll appreciate this from the Boston side of things. He was the first season ticket holder of the Celtics in the old parquet floor. And so I have pictures with me and Bird and Pippin and we uh, when they were in Red Arbuck smoking a cigar because he was my best friend. So I just got to hang out with him. <laughs> uh so yeah, I uh, I started just really uh, having an affinity to um, elders in the community, wisdom in the community, all that they could bring. Uh, my grandfather was a Cooper from Canada and I was the first grandchild of many, many grandchildren and the only grandchild who wanted to learn the art of making a barrel. And so we did that as a, I made a, my own hope chest actually where the females in my family had this beautiful hope chest that was traditional and mine was a barrel because I made it with my grandfather. Um, So I've I've just always had an affinity towards the elders in, in our communities lens of really problem solving and activity analysis, I'm always looking at either the person that way, the task that way, the environment that way, the experience that way, and I bridge that world into Htech for you're looking at products that way, you're looking at companies that way, where are they now, where do they want to be, how do you get them there, and so my advisory capacity always sits within that really OT lens, whether it's a product, a space, an environment, or brand, uh, or company. And um, I think I don't love the term aging in place. Um, I think it's just a catchphrase that people have caught on and moved along, you know, and just continue to use it, but it doesn't necessarily have that person centric. Um, meaning as it's gone along as a catchphrase. But it really originated that way. It's it's the mm. place of your choosing. It's the where do you want to be in a day to experience your life? Who do you want to be around? What tasks are important to you? And how do we help you to stay moving through your day and your life uh, in the way that you want to be? And that's not just can I keep you home safely, which is still a place of isolation. It's where in the space in your life and the time in your life, where can I help you find meaning and purpose? And how can I help you engage with community and within the roles that you want? um, How can I have you achieve your goals of of social connectedness, of mobility, of cognitive stimulation, of of independence with ADLs or IADLs? And and how am I looking maybe for me, how am I looking at tech? technology to improve access to resources so they can do that, or adaptability of space so that it's more um, accessible for them and and those tasks are achievable for them, really at every age. And if you're using universal design principles and you're using human-centric design, then it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the disability. And I don't say that I lightly, it, it, it means that you meet them where they're at, at any phase, any age, and you help them to achieve their goals. And so I, I do think we have to navigate, how are we paying for these resources? How are we bringing resources in for someone who does have a chronic condition or a situational setback with maybe an illness or injury? Um, you know, recent stroke, you know, you, this is, this is the stroke podcast. If we're, if you, you are going to have an immediate flare up of acute injury, or you're going to have then, you know, continuous chronic condition that you might be challenged with. And how are we meeting those everyday needs where you want to be in community, in home, um, and in the lifestyle that you want to be living?
1: Like it describes it. Well, how would you, is it thriving or how?
0: thriving living I think that it's living through movement I mean we're, we we this aging in place always feels like a house you want to keep someone in to me instead mm-hmm. of a lifestyle you want people to engage because of their their preference and because of their own lifestyle aspirations um and so it's not that it's wrong it's just sometimes you go then to brick and mortar and house And what's going to keep them there because we don't want to put them into another portion of the continuum where they don't want to be, maybe they don't want to be in senior living or maybe they don't want to be in senior care. But to be honest, aging in place also means the place of their choosing and maybe assisted living is wonderful for them because they have a sense of community and belonging and some of their basic IADL needs are taken care of so they can focus on the lifestyle they want and the freedom to express themselves the way that they want and community living is beautiful and mm-hmm. so you know we always think of aging in place I think uh, think as um, like making sure people can stay home whereas home could be defined in many different ways for a variety of reasons.
1: Yeah that's really well said I'm glad I'm glad we talked through that because we on our show a lot we 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 don't like two words. We don't like plateau in terms of stroke recovery, but we, the survivor component, we, we'd like to talk about setting the this- Setting the best environment to thrive in a life after stroke—not just survive, but thrive—and yeah. um, we got we got very excited on our last um, episode with Dr. Jay Ram and uh, Shirley uh, Ryan Ability Lab. And I mentioned at the time I said, "I uh, this gentleman with PT background has has like my dream job." So you get excited because you get to see all the tech and you get to you know use your um, your training and to in in, in various roles and advisory and executive playing playing across the, you know, from concept to seeing things actually um, take hold in the home. Um, we talk about all the good things that have been coming through all phases of care, like uh, using Shirley Ryan again as an example. Um, but we we really want to know, like, how, how do we set that stage for success in the home? Because eventually, and, and a lot of our audience is younger, but you're going to get old once you've had your stroke. We, we, it's inevitable. You get older, and and then we have these barriers to being able to stay independent in home. And how um, how do you feel that is there are there organizations that are that are looking at specifically stroke in the home or rehab and setting the stage on that level for? I heard the terms used like hospitals in the home or care centers in the home. Can you talk to a little bit about that? And maybe if you've come across any, um, any folks kind of doing the heavy lift in that area, as far as stroke is concerned.
0: So I I don't know that I can pinpoint stroke in particular, and that doesn't mean that it's not out there specifically for stroke, but I will say that um, I think technology in general, when you start to look at how it can, improve resource access, improve, improve environmental accessibility. Um, and, and start to look at look at first the problem areas. Well, first the person and what their problem areas are, where their challenges are in life and move from there. So if you have a day where you are feeling immobile or or are physically challenged and and immobile, could you increase a little bit of independence by having voice-first activation for lighting and for temperature? And can you then access, you know, turning on the coffee pot remotely? A a smart home is not just based of convenience and commercial, uh, commercial use for the basic consumer but it extends into giving someone freedom at any phase and 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 with any disability or whether it's permanent or temporary uh, to be able to, Bring them, uh, you know, greater accessibility of their own environment. Um, can I check to see that the do- who's at the door, and then can I unlock the door, and can I voice activate to allow someone to enter my home so they don't have to walk to the door? These simple things that are, you know, of convenience for many basic, you know, general consumers make a huge impact on someone being able to stay at home, stay safe, and stay engaged in their own, you know, livelihood and their own daily activities. Um, and so I think you know, this is just one branch of technology, but there are you know delivery robots and there are there's uh, looking at automation and looking at um, pill dispensing and men reminders and op- opportunities to have something set up once or supported once and then, Supported through, you know, into for your own independence with better cognitive cueing and better, uh, better support of routine and safety, um, with someone maybe with a cognitive challenge for the next month, and that really improves the ability to stay in the place of your choosing, whether that's at home or independent living or um, in in a younger population, allows you to depend on people less because there are opportunities to automate things and create better accessibility for cognitive and physical support.
2: Yeah. And when, you know, one thing, again, like you've kind of been able to, at least really educate me on, it's like that aging in space. Like you always hear about home modification, right? And like my grandfather, if we told him this, like, hey, home, like all he's thinking is like in that house, then like he wants to stay there forever, right? But it's, you know, as these new opportunities come, it's like, I think it's the community aspect, right? It's like, yeah. you know, yeah. um. You know, and the connection that you that technology could help build to that. Um, but you know, I I think for like, just given your background, your experience, like within UX and design, like I I'm fortunate that I get to work with designers and like understand how they think, right? And it's a very unique skill set to to have, um, and it's fascinating because I think, like you described from a OT perspective, it's kind of that same approach, right? Like you're peeling a pack, you're, you're really trying to, you know, peel back the layers of like, what this actual problem is, and how to like different options to get folks to achieve an outcome. So can you speak and we've had many product leaders on the podcast, CEOs talk about, you know, great, different innovation, obviously, David pointed out last week of all this amazing work happening at Shirley Ryan with different technologies. But can you walk us through from a UX lens? You know, how do you go into a a new product, a, a hospital system that is looking to redesign something, and like, what are some of the approaches you take from a UX side? And like, just just kind of talk us through and explain for our users, like, what your role means, like, as the UX designer.
0: So I think it's it's all back to that human centered, really understanding what are the challenge areas you're solving for. That's product. That's space. That's experience that's, it it can be from a healthcare system to an individual consumer product. You're looking at the, to me, you're looking at these design thinking principles. It should be really collaborative. It should be really iterative. You're working on it and and having fun with it, playing with it from a place of trial and error and looking at this prototype driven um, methodology. And you first kind of seek to understand and then you seek to explore further and then you materialize and you know within these buckets you kind of have um, these design thinking principles of really empathizing first and then defining and then ideating and then prototyping it and then testing that prototype then implementing but it's consistently iterative and Um, You know, you have to define the problem first, you know what, if you can't find a solution until you really have a clear idea of the problem you're trying to solve for. And if you're designing a new hospital system, is it so that you have people moving through it faster, staying in it longer, being supported, requiring less staff, uh, requiring, you know, being more attractive than the one down the street. Is it a marketing ploy? Is it a creating better efficiency? Is it creating better outcomes? What are the goals? What are the what are the true problems? Because there's a business use case. There's a clinical use case for each of these. And if I look at a home, it's the same thing. I've adapted an entire home for a one-sided approach because if I was just to do universal design principles without looking at humans going to be using it and evolving throughout it it wouldn't have been accessible for that person so looking first at the at the human experience and Iterating on the problem that you're solving, um, you know, collecting all the information, collecting pictures and taking photographs and and sketching things out and whiteboarding and collecting all the data that you can. um, And then, you know, serving this as a source of inspiration to brainstorm really big ideas. Where do you wanna go from there? And then how do you analyze it? How do you create solutions for it? Um, and then continue to get, give, give feedback on those solutions and then continue to improve. So it's, you know, this is the design thinking kind of flow and methodology, but I, I believe that that's also how you design space and look at products and even how you approach business.
2: Yeah. And to that business point, right? Like healthcare is such a complex position to be in, right? Cause like we could IDA and come up with brilliant product that really solves that need, but where healthcare digital health right now digital therapeutic is it's like to then get that reimbursement it's you know i think that's where so many of these barriers are coming in for the industry right and you know i'd love to get your your two cents on you know how to how do we design but also get paid for some of those solutions that ultimately should be in the hands of a stroke survivor or other patient population
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not a simple answer, but it is still going back to quite a simple process. And I think it's often missed. So I had a payer that wanted to invest in a solution that would help connect people with other activities and other people and other skills so that they would increase engagement uh, per person per month and increase physical activity, increase cognitive stimulation, because they knew that, the older population as well as chronic conditions, we're gonna layer the risk for them of requiring healthcare spent. Again, you have to go back to the center of who is the person you're solving for. And if you're solving for the health payer, if you're solving for the health provider, what are you trying to do? And this may not be the clinical approach to in, in the same approaches i'm trying to create a better outcome and i want this person to be able to do x y and z so if you're solving for what should get covered and what should be reimbursed go back to where are they going to save money where are they going to improve the beneficiary experience where where are they going to attract more people into their plan where are they going to have better health outcomes where are they going to actually save on high risk individuals or wasteful healthcare spend, and then work backwards from there on how your solution should help to alleviate some of these or create some of these opportunities with the payers. And I think, I, you know, I, I led Global Innovation for Genesis and I can't tell you how many people came and told me, don't you care that there are so many falls in the nursing homes? Well, yes, I care about the falls. And I know that your grandmother fell and you created a product, but you did not talk about how are you going to operationalize that product? How are you gonna increase uh, safety and efficiency in the work environment so that it's actually an alert that's meaningful for the caregiver that's working there? It does help the individual, but are you only looking at the fall or are you looking at the human behavior that caused the fall that really initiated that, that movement at the beginning and, and looking at that holistic connection, including the environment is so important, but knowing who, what problem you're solving for and who are the stakeholders involved is really important. That's how we get it paid for. We start to prove all of those elements out, not that it just fall, reduces an individual fall rate on a specific population, but that in a specific environment, it's making an impact and that it is worth getting paid for because we have clinical outcomes and also cost savings on the system.
1: Sorry, um just uh, to, to back up so Mike Mike got, Mike mentioned like his his grandfather and and staying and and thriving in his home. I'm going through the same thing with my mother-in-law right now in terms of um trying to keep her safe, but not feeling like I'm putting so much tech in her home that I'm intruding on her privacy. Um yep. when when you talk about solving who's who we're solving the problem for who, who's doing the best work, like getting in and solving and and whether it be through focus groups is getting in and not only educating but but finding out who, what, what are maybe our senior population might be comfortable with and what what is their sort of their tech IQ is it, you know, like my it took took us forever to get my mother in law to when she finally conceded that she needed some tech in the home because it was that, or we needed to look at other solutions. Then, then she embraced things like the iPhone. You know, she went from a flip phone to being able to connect with us and have me remotely troubleshoot some of the mobility issues she's having by just having a quick FaceTime call and talking her through some gate strategies or some transfer strategies. Um, but it took a long time, like before she felt she had the knowledge and now we pass things back and forth. Like we'll pass the AARP. She'll When she sees anything tech related, she's passing the AARP catalog to me. And I just pushed over to her um, uh, something that I saw that uh, Best Buy Health, for example, is doing. It seems to be more in Canada, but they're doing like an online course. Cause when we were first talking a phone and an app, like they're doing simple courses, like what's an app. Um, how to protect your privacy, how to connect to a smart speaker. Who do you think, like, and those are only the two that I'm familiar with, who do you think is doing the best work in that area and also gaining these insights on if a tech is put in someone's home, how successful are they in getting up to speed and using it?
0: Um, I, I think it's split a little bit. I think that somewhat the shift of awareness of technology acceptance and the data that's being collected around that is coming from the technology provider itself. So Amazon has smart home now, Amazon has for hospitality and for senior living, and they're able to capture usage and the data elements that are coming specifically around that type of technology, for instance. Um, I think that the, the people who are touching the lives of the older adults with this information already had access to the older adults pre pandemic and when the kind of the increase of technology adoption was there. And I think, you know, 38 million members at AARP, there's, they're already in the home and now they can communicate, Hey, we have these additional resources for you. You can work with these partners and they can help you. There's, here's technologies that are out there, but also here is support mechanism to help support your technology education and and literacy. Um, I think companies like OATS, I think can do tech. I think, um get set up. these are companies that are looking to say, hey, you might not know everything about technology, let me support your consumer adoption and educate you in a you know a, a, a slow and patient uh, way while you're learning new technologies. Um, I think that technology adoption overall, I mean man, we all, binge watch some sort of Netflix or Hulu over the pandemic. We connected somehow to our family and to work, whether it through Teams or Zoom, um, you know, or some mechanism for telepresence. And now we finally look to say, okay, now I could access additional sophisticated resources like my doctor and do I really need to leave the house when I just need to tell them about one or two symptoms. And do I really need to find transportation and parking and take a half a day? Or can I have a televisit? So these are things we all as general consumers started to look at differently because our consumer behavior changed at every age. And then the adoption rate and the the just universal use of improved. And so thus it it increased in the older adult population as well. Um, but I do think you know the general consumer brands, CBS Health, uh, uh, Apple and Google, and and Amazon have, have certainly a, Amazon and, and um, Amazon in a variety of ways have you know Im- increased access in the home. Um, and then and then you know ARP has already been a kind of a consumer presence for the older adult. And so how can they educate and support through services and through and through you know new technologies?
2: yeah and when we think of you know the older adult right like there's always this um you know need for the caregiver to kind of be taken into consideration sometimes right um so i'd be curious you know with you know the work that you're doing like how how does that that caregiver role get looked at and, and how are you kind of considering that um for the population as well be bullish
0: on person-centered control over data information and their life. And so I think that the individual at the center of the health challenge, life, life change, Um, needs to also open up their circle and be educated on how the circle can be helpful to them. But that's friends, that's neighbors, that's family members, that's paid caregivers, that's family caregivers, that's uh, the health system and and availability of of health resources and health experts. Uh, And so I see a lot of technology that wants to target the caregiver because there is a great economic opportunity with the longevity economy and the caregiver economy. But if we're not considering how are those caregiver tools person centric and can the person, you know, not just wear wearable for wearable sake to send this cowbell mentality monitoring to their daughter so their daughter can sleep at night. You know, but can it actually change their own behavior if they alert them as well? Can they inform them on how to be safer, on how to resource, you know, to access resources a- along the way and to open up, hopefully, that it is safer if someone can know about their their whereabouts, their uh, if they did fall, if they did choke, if they, you know, if they live alone and they have um, isolation at any age. I mean... Heck, I've had health conditions this last year where I'm I'm home alone and I'm like, gosh, would anybody know if I even fell down these stairs? And I want someone to know. And I, but I don't want someone to have a false alarm or to be calling me every second. And I don't want them to just have this information that only they know, but I don't know. I want these alerting mechanisms to be an opportunity for me to extend my care circle and my own safety and my own well-being. Um, so So I think there are a lot of great, great companies right now designing um, home modification tools, designing uh, um, really person-centered wearables that inform not only them, but the the caregiver, whether that's paid or just a family circle, um, alerting mechanisms that then uh, open up that opportunity for telehealth or televisit or immediate triage if they need to have urgent urgent care or, or urgent support. Um, so I, I do think that the technology is there, but I do think the design of the technology and the platform still need to be around what does that individual actually need and want.
2: Yeah, that was, that was a brilliant explanation. And and my question back to you just briefly would be like, wh- whose role is it to educate then, right? Like to educate the senior on both like why this caregiver might be coming into their life and then from a caregiver's side like what resources are there and how to actually talk to a loved one about some of these opportunities.
0: Yeah, that's probably where the breakdown comes in this system, because unfortunately, you have to have Your health provider that's moving them along the continuum from an ER visit to a primary care visit to a hospital stay to a primary care follow-up. And then hopefully the family is also alerted because when they're home, they, you know, family or neighbor, friend circle, their own personal tribe, who who cares for them when they have a bad day. Um, But but our system is really pretty broken and so the technologies that are helping to align the communication along that continuum allowing me to inform others of my needs allowing me to re, you know to reach out to experts or even to just support food delivery medication delivery a telehealth visit to access that but it's not right now uniform in who is the one educating the the patient, end-user, consumer, however you want to call them, that the older adult who needs in that moment additional support. It's hopefully the social worker on a discharge plan. It's hopefully the, the nurse that's educating them on medication that they take that extra step and follow up. How are they going to get this into the home and who's going to manage it because there's cognitive deficit right now or maybe there's some challenges that they need additional support who picks them up for the ride? Is it the person who is going to be there consistently or is it an adult daughter or son who happens to be there for the week post-surgery? And then it's an additional caregiver that's a paid caregiver. And who is the one who is gonna be sitting with the older adult explaining to them what's gonna be best for them and how that this is a supportive environment that they're creating. And there is no one navigation opportunity or, or, or solution right now, rather. There's, no, there's not a consistency and who that educator is, whether it's the primary care, a a loved one, a family member, um, or, or an advocate, a care advocate. Um, I think it's important to have someone that you have assigned or appointed, whether that's a family member or a case manager, social worker, counselor that you have in your corner to help navigate these things. But it's really not easy to find that one person to navigate the whole system.
1: That's really that's well said, and and it's it's great that we have individuals like yourself that understand that and the design process and the education process. There's still silos. There's still dots that need to be connected for sure um and I feel like we could keep you know dive in deeper but I I perhaps we'll have to have you back on at some point because we um we we want to make sure that uh, we get to our, famous magic wand question i know you know you're 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 a fan of the show um but i think mike gave you a little bit of homework so i'm gonna he kind of put a little twist on the magic wand question so i'm gonna hand the hand the wand over to mike to maybe um see if you can bring this full circle with your answer to the question
2: yeah before we get into that um Is there any, are there any, you know, I know you've talked through a lot of different companies in the space and, you know, some of the advisory work. Is there anyone particular? you know, maybe we haven't gotten to yet that you'd like to speak through that's doing interesting work in this space?
0: Um, well, we haven't really talked specifics today. I have a couple that I'm working with that I think fall into the categories we've discussed recently. Um, I think that I'm, I'm working with voice PT and they're helping to design um, therapeutic protocols and exercises that can be done in the home with a voice first approach to it, but it pre- creates better in-home uh, exercise programming and, and continuation of the program that you've received from your clinician. Um, I would say Ohm is really exciting to me. So they actually have a smart kitchen knob that can be installed in a stove and actually be uh, collect a lot of data of stove usage and of just general behavior at cooking in the kitchen. But it's also controllable remotely. Should there be a change of behavior, and so if someone left the stove on and had a fall or just forgot, um, it was actually started from a woman whose mother had a kitchen fire and she was not catching the some of the cognitive decline that she had, but by by only getting an alert when there's like a true change, and this has been on for a long time, you might, might want to check on it, check on her or shut it off, it could be remotely controlled and really to me that's the type of solution. It's not just alerting you of a problem, but it's allowing you to be the solution. Um, so, so I love that type of, of proactivity as well as data collection. Um, I'm I'm working with a company called Happy right now. They're trying to work on uh, improving social isolation and it's through both calling and listening and you could sign up for both. You help to listen to one another on basic topics. And sometimes just someone being a listener also connects them in through community and it also is is a form of employment. So they can have some some income as well. And that could be at any age. And so what better than to have someone who's you know home home alone and, and potentially retired from other activities and, and and being able to listen to others and listen to stories and also have someone to talk to. Um, I think you've both heard of Vivo, but it's similar on the fitness side. I know you had asked me before about kind of fitness and wellness. Vivo around, around bringing virtual fitness activities to older adults and also helping to train older adults to perform the fitness um, activities and training. So it's got, I like the bi directional support of older adult engagement on that into the home. Um, so those are just. A couple just based on health and wellness that you had asked about home automation voice first um, I love speak to right now I'm, I'm working with them and, and they're um, really helping with uh, voice first in home for hospitality and for senior living and they um, have a really great platform to improve. Kind of the access of voice first and fleet management of voice first in the home. Um, so yeah, just you know, I, I see a lot of fun things in a lot of sectors for different reasons. Um, I know. I think I, I know you always end with the magic wand question. I love that. That is you know continuous. But m- my guess is we've touched upon a lot of that anyway. The process of how I would address the the um, the magic wand question. But happy to wrap happy to wrap up with that question if you if you wanna wanna take a stab at it.
2: No, no, that was excellent just to kind of pick it like a, a lot of themes there, those companies you, you rattled off like around voice tech, right? Um, and, the, you know, using that technology to really drive a lot of different type of solutions. Um, we just spoke to a guy from Cardiocall, um, an Israeli based company using voice to detect AFib. So it was yeah. fascinating to hear. Yeah, I
0: um, yeah. There's a I mean between robotics and there's like all these categories that will just be catchwords but but really there's some people who are taking voice first to another level and those you know Alexa skills and and also um people who are taking robotics and applying them in a different way for automation to really just improve independence so it's I think it's a really exciting time
2: Nice well thank you for that and you know I I think you certainly did cover a lot of what I I would have hoped you would have chatted through in this magic wand question um, for listeners. You know, I, we, we always ask, obviously, you know, how would you take the magic wand and redesign a stroke care pathway um, or what would that, you know, ideal stroke experience look like in your eyes? Um, what I put a little task on for you is to kind of walk us through, like if you were that magic wand to walk in and, you know, there's, there is a recent article out of uh, Australia that really called for a complete redesign for the stroke care path by where you know it's currently implemented um, as more of a disability sector they're trying to really move it into a different direction and that that's going to be driving driven by you know the government funding and really like the, those complexities that sit there. um, but. I, I do think you've covered it and what I what I really loved about how you explained through the interview was the process of design of kind of design thinking and that continuous iteration and kind of starting you, you need to start somewhere, right and like continuing to gather feedback and get give, you know get things moving. Um, but I won't put you on the spot and ask you to completely <laughs> redesign things for us. I think you've done a great job to explain your work really did the, the approach that you've taken to man, many of the consulting projects that you've done and you know a, an insider's view and an expert's view really on where this space is moving. So thank you for that. And I't know David, do we have anything else for it? I think we've we've talked it out.
1: Yeah we we covered it all and we we got this in um, recording this on on Halloween so we we, <laughs> we also didn't have too many distractions. There was one point there where I had to keep us on my mute a little longer uh, for a barking dog, but we got through it. And, and did you, is there anything that you feel we missed? Sarah, that you want to pass along to our audience. We'll put all your contact information in the show notes, um, but um, I'd like you to have the last word.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could do this in a, you know, for several more hours in a couple of different directions, I think in this particular one we wanted to talk about design and so we did I would say the only other thing that I would, um, I get a lot of questions following up. Uh, usually on my talks on how can people get involved, whether they're clinicians who want to break into something more innovative, or they're, you know, patients who or or people who have uh, individual physical or, or cognitive challenges, they want to try new things, but they want to you know test new things. Um, you can feel free to say uh, share my contact information. I'm always doing focus groups on products, uh, new products, everything from. The color selection and using the taking a quick class on the psychology of color, and then how do you react to a new brand, to um, the usability of something, uh, feedback, and, and, and designing pilots with, with people of really any age, mostly older adults, but anyone with a, a disability or with a challenge that they might benefit from these solutions. Um, always doing pilots, always looking for su- supportive um, clinicians, patients, uh, family members, caregivers to, to really. Be a part of our team at Delight by Design. We're recruiting several more consultants right now. I think David you know that I uh, Rahima just joined our team as well from from Rehab Tech Summit. She is now a, a lead consultant for us and we're working with her uh, on, on various projects and, and um, so you know, I know clinicians usually follow up and say, how can I get involved? Happy to, to take people on in a variety of ways as, as we grow our, our independent consultant group. Um, so if if people have interest in, in focus groups or getting involved, you can send them my information.
2: Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to list everything in the show notes there. And I think, you know, how you've highlighted the work of how you've been able to transition OT into your current career is going to spark a lot of minds, I think, on the the episode here. So um, yeah, thank you again for your time tonight, Sarah. Um, You know, it's been a pleasure. And and again, we would love to have you back. I think there's a lot of different avenues we could go down with you. So thank you, Sarah, for that follow up. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. thank
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the No Stroke Podcast. Help our show grow by subscribing, liking, and sharing our show. If you'd like to be a guest on our show or consider a sponsorship for a season or
0: an episode, go to the show notes and reach out to us. Thank you.